Wes, can I tell you a little secret? Oh, please do. But you have to make sure that you don't clue Chris in on this one, okay? Oh, I won't say a thing. All right, so the more that we go down these rabbit holes and the more that I start learning about InfoSec and cybersecurity, the more that I start thinking it might actually be a little fun to work in the field. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we've been exploring some fascinating stuff. The hard part is, though, is where do you even get started? Like, we've talked to so many people and we hear their stories, but it's hard to go, okay, but what do I do? Yeah, there's about a million certifications out there. I don't know how you choose what you need to know and what you start learning. Well, I'm not sure if it'll surprise you or not, but I have a friend who has some, I guess would say, advice, maybe mentorship on the subject. No, I'm not surprised at all. Something tells me they might already be here with us. I have to admit that, yep, they may be hiding in the shadows. My friend may have a little bit of experience in some covert operations, but he's here to kind of tell us all about how we can kind of replicate that success. Thanks so much for joining us today, James. Hey, how's it going? Would you mind telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? I kind of have a different story than most on how I got into information security, but I promise there's a good chunk of it that's uh, relevant. I first got into the military uh, and I did uh, electronic warfare, which was a or is a type of uh, military intelligence. From there, I went into uh, special forces and I was an Army Green Beret for some time. And then after that, uh, I moved on to flying helicopters and a couple different airplanes. And from that, then I finally moved into cybersecurity or information security. Um, and now I am a full-time uh, secu- cybersecurity engineer for a firm out of Chicago and part-time uh, adjunct professor of cybersecurity. And I'm also a uh, cyber warfare warrant officer for the National Guard. And in that capacity, I do a lot of teaching and mentoring and have found myself also having to learn a lot um, on how to get into information security because I had to do it myself, and I've helped a lot of other people along the way. Can I just say you can just drop the mic and walk away now? Like, that's impressive. <laughs> well, don't be too impressed. I, like I tell people, there's two things about that is, one, I'm too stupid to quit, and the other thing is <laughs> I definitely have some ADHD with my career. Kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none is kind of what that's resulted in. I think it would be fair to say that that's what I have really seen a lot of in information security and cybersecurity as a whole, is people not even trying to be master of a single thing and being comfortable just jumping around. Oh, yeah, for sure. I I think the most effective folks uh, in the field that I've run into seem to be uh, very three-dimensional. You know, there's definitely space out there for folks that really become experts in a niche area. But uh, even those folks can be hindered at times if they don't have the fundamentals down, in my opinion. Now, I have to admit that we have not been friends for very long. Um, I actually found out about you because I stumbled across your GitHub repo. And I remember sending it to Wes and being like, Wes, Wes, look at this. Do you think we can get him to come on the show? Oh, you did a good job there, Al. Yeah, I have to admit, I was a bit skeptical at first. I was like, I I don't know who these people are (laughs) like, you know, I guess I'm, I always have my tinfoil hat on, like looking for if somebody's trying to get the edge, you know, like trying to get a a fish, you know, get you to click a link or something. (laughs) 
Well, I'm sure that we both did our OSINT on, you know, each other's respective end, but I'm glad to say that we're kind of kind of break down your GitHub repo. And to me, it was just such a plethora of information that I've been looking for on not only the first steps about getting into the field, but really about how important it is to master the basics of technology and of what you're getting into and not just have kind of that hyper-focused view on InfoSec. Within the GitHub, you break down getting into the field into five separate pillars. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what those pillars are and kind of how you came up with them? Yeah, sure. Um, Well, first of all, I have to admit that I did not uh, come up with the five uh, myself originally. Um, Somewhere along the way, a couple of years ago, I was sitting on a conference call and um, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been at a job where you're stuck listening to a lot of conference calls, but oh yeah, yeah, you know, you just get used to this ambient noise in the background of yet another conference call. And so it was on speakerphone, I'm typing away, doing my thing, and and somebody was uh, ranting about their product. It was somebody from Sands, and I believe it was their Cyber Start program. And I have tried to look and try to find a record of that, and I, I don't even know if it was them. I don't even know if it was the same five pillars, but. Uh, at any rate, I heard it and I stopped doing what I was doing. And I just kind of turned and listened to the phone because it really struck a chord with me. Since a particular incident uh, during my training for special forces, I've, I've really become very married to the idea of mastering the fundamentals. I think we were in training uh, at a little camp in North Carolina and we had done something. I don't know. We had made a mistake of some kind. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, the instructor, uh, as he was standing over us yelling, it had said something to the effect of, we look special because we master the basics. And when he said that, that really hit home. And I have applied that theory or that mentality rather to everything from learning to fly helicopters to hacking. And it has paid off uh, dividends. And I have also worked with my students and people that I've mentored. I, I have driven that same point home to them and ensure that they're learning the fundamentals and it continues to pay off. But those five pillars are uh, general computing, um, which you could say, you know, basic computer science would be another way to explain that one. Number two would be computer networking. You <laughs> <laughs> Right. And that's the thing is everybody's going to have a favorite and least favorite. And you certainly don't have to, you know, go all out. You just have to have the, the fundamentals, right? The basics. You won't have an equal understanding of all of them, but you need a, enough to get going. Right, right, exactly. And then three would be uh, scripting or programming. Uh, four would be Windows, and five would be Linux. So let's break those down into what they actually mean. You know, when you say general computing and basic computer science, what does that mean? You know, am I looking at going back to school and focusing on a CS degree? Am I looking at understanding things down to the level of assembly? What does that actually mean for me to focus on? I consider it to be the basics for operating in that space. So in other words, do you need to know assembly? Not right away. Definitely not to get started. It's good to be aware of it. But what I'm getting at is more of with the general computing pillar is that understand like what a hard drive does, what RAM does or memory, um, what the CPU does. Because, for example, when you get further into security and you're learning about quote unquote fileless malware, you would want to be able to understand how processes load into memory and operate there. 
So do you need to be able to build a computer necessarily? Honestly, no. But you should definitely understand the basic components of it. When I'm looking at the pillars and given everything you just said, sometimes I have to wonder if these kind of have a little bit of transition to them. Because when I think about computer networking, I I kind of think of that as one of those general computing skills. As much as I don't enjoy doing it, that is one of the kind of basic fundamentals of learning how the internet works or how your computer, you know, communicates. So why are these separated out like this? With networking and general computing, uh, even though they're very closely related, I think it works out well to keep them separated for studying purposes. And in addition to that, uh, I think it also works out well that uh, folks understand uh, when they learn general computing, they're kind of concentrating on just the host. And then when they go on to learn about networking, they're learning about how those different hosts interconnect and talk. And I think with any of these topics and domains, they're, they're all going to overlap. And you could certainly try to study all of them simultaneously. And that may work for some, but for others, it may work to kind of go in a linear order. Um, I, I recommend that you start studying a little in each domain and or pillar rather, and just kind of rotate through them, leveling up in each one. But I I think it works out well to keep them separated for uh, focus purposes. I can understand that now that you explain it. It's something that I've fallen into and have talked to Wes quite frequently about where I start out with, I am going to learn A. This is my focus. And then I'm like, wait, wait, to understand A, I need B and C. And well, I can't even begin to tackle C unless I know D. And at some point, I have lost focus on what I even started trying to learn. And I just feel overwhelmed. I think feeling overwhelmed is probably one of the most common uh, feelings throughout this industry, both in, in IT and information security. At least I feel like there's a large chunk of this industry where that's where their mental health issues are stemming from is just this constant uh, pressure to be better at everything all at once. Uh, so it's definitely easy to get overwhelmed, even just learning the basics. Right. And I mean, that's impossible. You can't study all of it at the same time. You really do have to, you know take one pillar and then work on the next later. Oh yeah, absolutely. And even if it's like, you know, Hey, for one week or one night, I'm going to study general computing. And maybe if you get bored easily, you could switch it up every, you know, whatever your, your pace is for studying, you could kind of rotate through the five of them, but I think they all definitely work off on one another. And eventually when you get into more advanced security topics, it definitely pays dividends to have the fundamentals down. So for example, uh, buffer overflows are a very common thing for people to learn um, on their trajectory to becoming, uh, say, a penetration tester. And when you start learning buffer overflows, it quite literally involves every one of the five pillars um, and, and then some, right? So while you're writing a buffer overflow, if you're not very good at scripting and programming because you skipped over that, <laughs> you're going to have a very difficult time trying to uh, write a script or a program that's going to deliver that that buffer overflow to the target, as an example. I think I can definitely appreciate that. And, and that next pillar, the scripting and programming, is kind of where my focus has been now. And I, I think I've reached out to Wes quite a few times going, can you please look at my code because I don't know why it's doing what it's doing. How important do you think it is for people to I don't kind of have a safety net when they're tackling these subjects? Like, is it something you could go in and just do by yourself or is doing it as a group or being able to reach out to people 
really that important to being able to master these fundamentals? I think it depends on the person. You know, I've been in a couple different schools now, both as a student and as an instructor. And I I think that really depends on the person. I I see some people that just, they want to put on their headphones and get lost in a rabbit hole and they're not going to come up for air until they understand it. Right. Uh, And then there's others where they absolutely have to have um, somebody there to, to work with and, and check their work. That's fair. I guess I I always want to say that people need mentors, but that is probably the best way of looking at it is do whatever feels comfortable to you to give you the sense of success or to, you know, help you achieve success. Uh, A mentor is, in my opinion, always important. Even if you like to study alone, uh, it's always great to have somebody uh, with that outside view. Um, Hopefully your mentor is somebody experienced in the field you go study on your own and you kind of come up for air and, and say, hey, I spent three days making this. What do you think? Um, and then hopefully they can help you out. Or um, if you do get stuck, they can quickly point out how to get to the next step. It's so useful to have someone who's been through that journey before. And there's always so many little unspoken things going on, right? You can only learn so much from a textbook. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and not only that, I, I think the other key piece of this is understanding that a a textbook will only take you so far, right? So when I learned Python, I, I thought I knew some Python, right? Um, I, I had read the books, I had written little scripts, but I, honestly, I don't feel like I really understood how to use Python until I'd written probably 2,000 lines of it automating key pieces of my job. And that's where I really learned. And I think that that kind of goes with any of these five pillars. You're, you're only going to get so far be- before you have to leave the nest And once you get that first job where you have to use those skills, that's where things are really going to take off. Suddenly you're in the deep end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. The next pillar or pillars are the ones where I I kind of wonder why they're broken up the way they are. Because I see that one pillar is Linux and Mac OS, and the next pillar is Windows. And I was a little confused to why it's not just one pillar that says, you know, operating systems. It certainly could be one. Um, you know, if somebody wants to tackle it that way, I I like the idea of having them separated. Um, for example, Linux, that can be a very deep rabbit hole and, and definitely Windows can be as well. And I think that if you have a team of folks put together, it's, it's always best, in my opinion, to kind of have a team where everyone has the fundamentals, but then everyone will specialize in a different area. Uh, and I have found that on a team, it's always uh, good to have someone that is the quote-unquote Linux person and then someone that's the quote-unquote Windows person, right? Um, Because those things are always changing. While someone could definitely learn both really, really well, I I just, I feel strongly that uh, it's good to let, you know, yourself or let a team member kind of pick where they want to go and and just go for it and be a, a, a master of that domain. And I think that while Linux and Windows have a lot of similarities. There are plenty of differences uh, to keep track of. Well, I guess that's what gave me pause because if you know I were to rewrite this, I think I would separate Linux and Mac from being that one pillar because I think know that everyone likes to group them together because like, oh, they're both Unix-based. But I feel that when it comes to security and what you're learning on the command line on Linux versus what Apple has done to you know their security sphere, they, they aren't as comparable as people want to make them. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, and uh, when, even as I typed it, I felt like I was kind of shoehorning it in there. <laughs> but, you know, to be honest, when I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, I'm not going to put Mac uh, OS next to Windows because I will certainly <laughs> get involved in a flame war far larger than if I put Linux and Mac together. <laughs> but, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I think that it might be more fair to say if you really understand uh, Unix, right, that you should be able to get onto a Mac and be able to drive around pretty well on the command line. And, and sure, there's certainly going to be some differences, but I think they're much closer together than, say, Windows and Mac. But yes, I, and you know, I think the same argument could be made for probably different flavors of Linux as well. So it just depends on how much you want to subdivide each one or, or put them together. You got to draw the line somewhere. Right. But yeah, I, I have to admit, you know, even as I typed it, I, I, I didn't know this particular conversation was coming, but I was <laughs> like, you know, if anyone ever reads this thing, I'm sure this discussion is going to come up. All right. Fair enough. Then we'll leave it at that as to not have the 20 <laughs> pillars of mastering your foundation. <laughs> right. Throughout kind of our discussion, you did mention a few certifications, and I kind of want to dip my toes in that water because I know it can be a controversial subject, um, talking about whether you have to have a degree or, you know, the validity of certain certifications. Many times people are, well, you know, it's just a paper. It doesn't attribute to my success or it doesn't attribute to what I actually know. Like, I know further on, that's a different case. But for those of us that are just looking to get our start in cybersecurity. This is going to cause, uh, I'm sure, some heartburn for some. So just to even start that answer, I would like to make some things clear. And that is everybody's different. I have seen people approach uh, certifications in very different ways. Um, and I'm, I'm going to avoid naming any particular certification here just to uh, save some trouble. <laughs> Fair enough. There are certainly a large number of certificates, certifications, where you don't really have to know what you're doing to obtain that certification. And there are others where you really have to master that skill set to, uh, to earn it. And so I, I think certifications, it definitely depends on the person, but by and large, there are definitely certifications that when you first get started, that they're good to have. Um, for example, you can earn security plus and, you could do that through a lot of studying um, textbooks or cheat sheets and things like that and, and watching videos, right? And never have really been working as a security admin somewhere. It's one that definitely prepares you for that. And I would encourage people to get that certification if they um, are going to get a start somewhere, for example, in the DOD, right? The DOD, uh, Department of Defense, even their contractors and their sysadmins have to have certain certifications that they consider uh, they consider level one. Security Plus is one of those. While it may not get you hired right away somewhere, it could be the difference between getting a job and not getting a job uh, in one of those environments. Right, might help get your name in the door, but you're still going to have to pass some of their interview, and there you'll be put to the real test. From my experience, uh, being on both sides of the table, both as someone getting interviewed and someone doing interviews, and I kind of tell people um, when I'm mentoring them, I'm like, think of the resume as this Trojan horse that its sole purpose is to just get you past the gates of HR and to sit in front of a hiring manager 
and when they interview you, that's when your actual skill and technical expertise will come out. But there, there's so much gatekeeping going on in HR right now. Uh, and a lot of it is just based purely on if you have the right certifications to get past them. And then, for example, there are certifications where uh, if you have that on your resume, it instantly speaks to everybody in the room. And, and for example, one of those is the OSCP, the Offensive uh, Security Certified Professional. That exam, hands down, is recognized throughout the industry as being one that is only held by people who have really uh, mastered the skill set that they're testing you on. And, and that one tests you, for example, on your basic penetration testing skills. There are lots of other certs that claim to do the same thing. Um, and I'm not going to point fingers here, but there are definitely a few out there where you can buy test dumps for or find them online. You memorize it, you go into the testing center, you ram through the test in 35 minutes, you come out and you're done. Uh, I would not recommend that for anybody because uh, I know, for example, when I go to interview somebody and I look at their resume, I'll look and see what certifications they hold. And I'm going to base my questions off that. So you definitely don't want to be what we call a paper tiger, right? Where you have memorized all the answers, but you've never touched the keyboard to, to do any of those things. And you've gone in there and, and just basically faked your way through the whole thing. Because I, I think you're going to get found out pretty fast. I'm actually excited to to hear you say this because when I, I started kind of approaching this on Twitter and asking people, like, how do I get started? And one of the first things that people said is, you know, hey, get your security plus. And somebody linked me to this chart, which we'll link in the show notes, called the Security Certification Progression Chart. It's been updated for 2020. And it supposedly shows all of these certifications. And there's got to be at least 50 on this thing. And which certification goes to what area, like offensive and defensive and security architect. And I'm sitting here looking at this going, to me, this is almost like somebody has tried to lay out a career path with certifications. And it just becomes so overwhelming. This is a great opportunity to kind of give a shout out to probably one of my favorite uh, institutes on the planet. And that's the SANS Institute. Um, and, and full disclosure, I am an aspiring SANS instructor. I'm kind of a fanboy. In fact, they even made it into a poster and you can get it off the SANS Institute website where they lay out basically start here and then you come to this fork in the road and decide if you're blue and red. And then on the blue side, you have a couple more forks. And on the red side, there's a couple more forks, but it kind of starts from left to right and they lay out what certs they have. Now, of course, they're all SANS certs. And SANS is rather expensive, but definitely worth it. I have had the opportunity to take uh, a few of their courses, and they are game-changing. Every one of those uh, classes that I sat through and then subsequently went and studied for the certification, every one of those I have found myself using in the real world constantly. They're they're an amazing uh, institute. Uh, For other certs outside of SANS, yeah, I would love to see that chart because I think that's probably one of the top questions that people ask. And I would also encourage people to not necessarily get married to anything right away. Um, when I first started, I was convinced I, I'm going to be red team all the way. Penetration testing is my thing. Uh, you know, uh, defensive forensics is for the birds. That's that's boring stuff. I don't want to do it. I, I really enjoy both, but there is just something fascinating about the blue side and chasing bad guys, it, it is, it's a thrill. And I really enjoyed it. It's, it's very rewarding also. 
I'm sitting here almost kind of holding my breath because uh, in about two months, I will start my SANS training. So I'm really excited about this now. Awesome. But I do know that, you know, it's definitely not in everyone's budget and not everyone has a company willing to, you know, I I don't want to say fork over the money, but man, it's a lot of money (laughs) to go and do this. (laughs) Yes, it is. Um, I was lucky enough to be scholarshiped. I'm just going to put that out there. Where can people that might not have that opportunity get their start? I know that you have a lot of free resources on, you know, your site, but there's a lot of them there. So how do they pick, you know, this is going to be my point A before I even delve into the rest of these links? I think the best place to get started is just jump in feet first, right? And as you go along, you're going to find things that really interest you. And I I like to always recommend people to start off with learning Linux um, and for example, uh, Over the Wire is a great uh, place to kind of dip your toes into the information security pool. So Over the Wire is a free uh, Linux-based capture the flag, and it teaches you Linux really, really fast while also without even telling you that they're teaching you security, they begin to teach you uh, basic hacking skills. But as you rotate through the five pillars, I think that everyone will kind of start to get a feel for what they like. and because almost certainly as you go through these resources, there's going to be mentions of you know pen testing or mentions of forensics and things like that. And I would encourage people to to go ahead and look at those and you know dive down the rabbit hole every once in a while while you're learning and, and just see what interests you. Now, a lot of our listeners are Linux users, but I'm you know what, I'm going to tell them you're just you're not out of the hot water for that because I've been doing some capture the flags. And I found that my lack of window skills is just as detrimental than not having the Linux skills because Windows is definitely developing and especially with, you know, WSL coming out. And it's going to be a field that is going to require people who have both the Windows and Linux skills. And I think that goes back to your whole point of mastering all five pillars. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, That's a great point. And while, you, for example, uh, to, to kind of uh, pivot off your point here, uh, do you need to be a master of Windows and Windows Sys internals? No. Should you have read uh, the Windows Sys internals book cover to cover? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, good because I have not. <laughs> but yeah, if you're if you're just a Linux guru, right, and you're a penetration tester, when you uh, get a shell on a Windows machine and you don't understand how to drive around the Windows command line, yes, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. Um, if you don't understand what the Windows registry is or what it does, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. And, and same thing with forensics, right? Or, or penetration testing, take your pick. But if you're a Windows person and you're very married to that, if you get a shell or you're given access to a Linux machine, you're trying to drive around on that, you're going to be at a huge disadvantage if you don't understand the fundamentals of that operating system. I know that a lot of people are probably you know listening to this and going like, I don't even know. Like, there's just so much. And even though we've broken it down for them, it almost feels like, how can I ever accomplish this? How many years is it going to take me to accomplish this? So what advice might you have for them on how to just kind of keep their sanity while they're going down this role? I find myself struggling with that probably every day. And I think everybody uh, in this field does. What I have found that that helps is setting healthy boundaries and prioritizing things that you'll never get back. For example, wife, kids, husband, you know, family, people that are close to you. And if if you're not married and don't have kids, 
certainly you probably have some friends that are close to you, but that human interaction is really important. And, And I say that because I have seen some people really fall victim to that overwhelming feeling that you're not good enough yet and that you have to keep getting better and that you have to learn everything tonight. <laughs> and I've seen some pretty serious negative effects occur. And I, I just think it comes down to setting good boundaries. So maybe, uh, for example, you set a very specific set of hours that you study where you, you commit to yourself, hey, from eight to 10, that's my study time. After that, I'm going to break it off and go to bed or I'm going to go spend time with so-and-so or, you know, play with the dog, whatever it is. And definitely don't be scared to maintain other hobbies, you know, even if it's just 15 minutes here or there or whatever it takes to, to stay healthy. I fear that people believe that they have to master all the basics, that they have to know all five pillars before they can even go into that first job interview. And that's what makes them kind of burn out because they feel that they have to cram all of this knowledge into them before they can start, you know, making that career transition or maybe changing their lives by getting that first job. Would you agree with me to say, you know, that that's not really the case? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's a great point to uh, hammer home. There are plenty of jobs out there in, in cybersecurity or information security. Um, I know that locally we have, for example, a place that offers internships. An internship here at this particular place is they're paying, from what I hear, between seventy dollars and $80,000 a year for their internship. Now, that's not everywhere, uh, but there are folks that are getting those internships that probably don't know a third of what is laid out in, in that GitHub document, right? Um, and they're learning as they go. Now, that that's definitely probably a one-off, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You don't have to be an expert to get that tier one job. And in fact, I would encourage anybody out there listening um, that hasn't gotten that first job in cybersecurity to go out and and put applications in and try to land that first interview and see what they're asking because you may surprise yourself how much you actually do know uh, and how ready you you are. Uh, and, I, and I hear that a lot where people self-select and they say, I'm not good enough and they never apply or they just never take that leap because they're continuously self-selecting themselves out of the process. It's interesting that you say that because I recently read an article where this woman decided that, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to try this. And I commit to putting in 100 applications before I decide that I'm going to quit, that, you know, quote unquote, I am not good enough. And the funny thing is that she probably got about 20 applications in and had to stop because she kept getting calls for interviews and couldn't balance both of them at the same time. But here's someone who honestly didn't think that they were qualified and were proven wrong just by the sheer number of people who were wanting to interview her. That's huge. Um, yeah, and I encourage any. I would encourage anybody to yeah just start sending out resumes. Um, I've done a number of interviews with folks that um, at the end of it they they thought they had done terrible, and meanwhile the rest of us sitting at the other side of the table were all giving a thumbs up, like, hey, let's let's get this person on board. Uh, and I, and I also will say this, a lot of these interviews, I'm going to tell a secret here. So, so don't, don't tell anybody. Oh, we won't. A lot of tech interviews are honestly just a way to see who you are and how you think through problems, because a lot of employers understand that you may not know everything and they're confident that if you're the right fit for the team, they can teach you. And so I have heard a lot of 
uh, big names in the industry talking about this where they, they say, Hey, you know, I ask questions until they don't know uh, the answer anymore just to see how they solve a problem. And that's really what I'm interviewing them for. It's also important for those of you who are going in for interviews to remember that it's not a one-sided interview. You are interviewing that company just as much as they're interviewing you. So ask questions. If they ask a question that you're not sure about, ask for clarification. Include the person that's interviewing you in your thought process because, as you said, that shows how your thought process works. And it might even enable them to see that you would be a cultural fit because you're a team player. Alongside with that, though, I usually take a pen and paper into the interview with me, and I have actually come out with notes before and things to study and feel like, you know what, maybe I didn't ace that interview, but I have a kind of weapon now for my next one because I know what I need to study and get stronger on. Oh, yeah, for sure. If you're not asking questions during an interview, I I don't think you're doing it right. And a lot of times what I like to ask is, hey, what is your team like or, you know, what what do you prioritize as a team? Or, uh, you know, it depends on the company, of course, and it's always good to do a little research ahead of time. Um, but I always like to ask too, like, well, what exactly is in the scope for the team? And that always generates some good conversation. I think there are plenty of rabbit holes that we could go down here, but you know what? Maybe we can come back and revisit those at a later time. We're definitely going to be linking to your article in our show notes, but if people want to reach out to you to ask questions, clarification, maybe get some advice, what's the best way for them to be able to reach you? Feel free to hit me up on Twitter, uh, DFIR Madness or D for Madness is my Twitter handle. And thanks to you, I now have DMs open. I relaxed uh, my paranoia a bit. Um, but they are open and uh, I, I welcome anybody to, to message me and ask questions. And I would also love for people to contribute to the document. If you have a great resource, uh, I would love for you to, to let me know and I'd love to add it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, James. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. If you'd like to start mastering the basics, we'll have links to everything you need to get started over at extras.show.